At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dealing with pests can be a pain. But relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Countdown Bulletin Podcast, and let's all congratulate Donald Trump on talking himself into yet another gag order. For reasons that border on the hilarious, as of Sunday evening, it was still unclear if Judge Tanya Chutkin had broadened or clarified her gag order against Trump in the election subversion trial in Washington, or more importantly, if she had perhaps specifically threatened Trump with jail time if he violates the gag order. But we know this much. She has reinstated her gag order on Trump in this case. His attorneys had convinced Chutkin to temporarily lift that cone of silence from over him about the Washington trial while they appealed it and tried to convince her to cancel the gag order outright. And late Friday night, they had expanded their filing to position Trump's ability to martyr himself as the key campaign issue with the American public, unquote. Smith's office replied overnight Wednesday, not only opposing a permanent removal of the gag order, but insisting that Trump had begun to seriously threaten and endanger witnesses at trial, like his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and that Chutkin had to reverse the temporary reprieve, and Sunday evening she did exactly that. Nice work, Dementia J. In an irony befitting the topic and the online mosh pit in which Trump has done most of his threatening, the court system that gives lawyers and reporters and the public access to the findings of almost any court's decision, the new Trump gag order was itself gagged. The online system PACER, public access to court electronic records, was showing only the order itself and not the accompanying opinion. So we know Judge Chutkin had something more to say about Trump and to Trump and to Jack Smith and to the public. And as of recording time, we don't know what the hell it is. A gag order so broad it has accidentally gagged the judge. But it isn't hard to guess why she decided what she decided. Quote, I don't think Mark Meadows would lie merely for getting immunity against prosecution, parentheses, 
persecution by deranged prosecutor Jack Smith. Trump began last Tuesday, but when you really think about it, being hounded like a dog for three years, told you'll be going to jail the rest of your life, your money and your family will be gone forever, etc. He's barely two sentences into his insane gurglings, and he has implied Meadows lied, that Meadows was threatened, that Meadows was bribed, that Meadows was hounded for three years, even though three years ago today Trump was still president and the election was still a week away. Quote, some people would make that deal, but they are weaklings and cowards and so bad... And there's the added implied threat against Meadows in that. And all because of news reports that ran the gamut from describing a full Meadows flip against Trump to some limited testimony forced by court order to ongoing negotiations between the special counsel's office and Meadows attorneys about a full negotiated plea deal. There were few more things Trump could have squeezed in there that would have also violated the original Chutkin gag order, except perhaps if he had threatened to burn down Meadows' house. As the special counsel also noted in his filing, long before Jack Smith or the judge began to treat the concept of a gag order seriously, there were the original terms of Trump's release on bail after his indictment. Making contact with a probable witness was forbidden in those original terms, whether the contact was direct and secret or via some public medium. And Chutkin was no doubt further influenced by how Trump tried to get around the other gag order he's got running at the moment, the one the New York State judge Arthur Engeron imposed to protect his court staff after Trump doxed the court clerk, then was ordered to delete that post, then was discovered to have left an image of that post up, then made a veiled disparaging reference to the clerk to the media, then took the stand at the judge's insistence and promptly perjured himself and insisted, no, he wasn't talking about her the clerk, he was talking about Michael Cohen. Moreover, on Saturday, Trump again attacked Judge Engeron online three separate times, calling him crazed, among other things, and again insisting in that vague, stochastic way of his that, quote, this radical Trump hater must be taken off this case which is just fuzzy enough in terms of composition to allow Trump to again lie and claim he is not trying to get one of his more psychopathic cultists to physically attack Engeron on Trump's behalf. It continues to amaze me that this judge, Engeron, has not expanded his gag order in the New York case to include not just court staff, but everybody involved. If he had, Trump would already be doing 25 to life. I have said this before, and I will say it again. Our other American pro-democracy institutions have collapsed under the weight of something new and of somebody so devoid of human qualities that he can break any law or norm or even just custom without the slightest hesitation or guilt. The last line of defense in this country is the judiciary. What Chutkin has done is not just to reimpose a gag order that is by itself the only practical way of controlling a diseased animal like Trump, but also she has indicated to his lawyers and even to him, if he can faintly make out the sound of anything besides the voice of his own vast, pulsating, undulating ego that if you play with fire, this judge is going to make sure that you are the one who gets burned. Once the online system comes back, that is.
There is a second irony here that I want to mention in this bulletin edition. This is from one of Trump's campaign stops Saturday at the Republican Jewish Coalition hearing in Iowa. It is about three stumbles shy of a full Jackie Gleason, Ralph Cramden, humana, humana, humana. Colleges and universities will purge the anti-Semitism and pro-terrorism. Ter- uh, what, what you're doing, the terrorism. Boy, if I had a dollar for every time I said that. There is the contrarian position about the various gag orders against Trump that during a time when his mental incapacities are obviously accelerating, a gag order keeping him from saying stuff like that might actually help him. At 8.40 Eastern Sunday night, Trump revealed, online system failures or not, that they have managed to let him know that the gag order is back in effect. Quote, the corrupt Biden administration just took away my First Amendment right to free speech. Then switching to all caps, not constitutional, make America great again. If Chutkin's decision does nothing else, it has, at minimum, cut down on the interminable length of Trump's posts. That one is just 20 words. Thank God for small blessings. The rest of this bulletin edition of the Countdown Podcast is a repeat of Friday's full edition, so if you've heard that and you wish to bail out right now, I wouldn't blame you. I'll be back with a full new edition at the usual hour, Monday night and Tuesday morning, or... Another bulletin if the court documents access system PACER gets plugged back in. Did you ever drive in an AMC PACER or drive one yourself, the automobile from American Motors in the 70s? My mother had a PACER. She once managed to lock herself and my sister out of the PACER while it was still running and the keys were still in the ignition and they were in the parking lot at Yankee Stadium. Why on earth would you give a vital court reporting system the same name as that thing? Once again, Dementia J. Trump is providing hints and foreshadowings and augers that he is about to finally lose all control of his mind. Meanwhile, Jack Smith has clearly graduated from demanding that they put a gag order on Trump to instead demanding that they put something on him that more resembles a Hannibal Lecter mask. Trump, under a gag order in a New York courtroom, two violations of which have been used to argue for the immediate reinstatement of another gag order in a Washington courtroom, a gag order which could go back into effect as early as tomorrow, has now attacked the New York judge three separate times online. And in one of the attacks, he may have issued yet another stochastic call for violence against the judge. Quote, This is judicial misconduct coupled with prosecutorial misconduct, and somebody from the state of New York must step in and stop this complete and total miscarriage of justice, unquote. Because Trump had earlier suggested that New York's governor should get involved, and because he capitalized the word state when he wrote State of New York, he managed to keep one foot in that shadowy region in which he has lived his life, and his attorneys could argue that he was not asking somebody from the state of New York to step in and stop this by attacking somebody like the judge or the district attorney or both. 
But Trump's rage inside that New York courtroom this week was worse than initially reported. Those inside it with him now say he pounded his fist on the defense table and got bright red. And perhaps the full measure of how rapidly his already minimal self-control seems to be cracking was underscored just before 1 p.m. Eastern yesterday when he attacked a reporter, not so much for what she had written, but for what she did not write. Quote, Maggot Hagerman of the failing New York Times wrote almost her entire fake story today about the Trump-hating judge's gag order they love to silence me rather than the racist attorney general star witness chalking like a dog on the witness stand Perry Mason? There is so much ass in that sentence that it is hard to sort it all out But from a psychological viewpoint, there is little that could be ever more telling than Trump attacking a writer who has often been, even post-coup, astonishingly deferential to him and who has been brutally attacked, including by me here, metaphorically speaking, of course, for being so deferential to him. Moreover, the article that drove him to this most insane of a series of insane posts is pretty dull, pretty even-handed pretty hard to criticize. Any Trumpist who actually bothered to read Maggie Haberman's piece in the New York Times yesterday would be hard-pressed to figure out why Trump would have gone so crazy. And that's because since the court hearings began to dominate his schedule, Trump has ever increasingly shown more and more signs of his evil but still strategic public pressure against prosecutors and political opponents and others He's shown that that is dissolving into pure petulance. Maggot? And then calling Haberman Hagerman on, I guess, the premise that substituting a G for the B in her name means we're supposed to pronounce that hag? The parenthetical reference to Perry Mason in there? That's a callback to an earlier post 10 or 20 posts before. And anyway, it's a reference to a television show that had its last special episode on April 10th, 1995. The reference to the star witness chalking because he doesn't know how to spell choking. These are easy tells, clear signs of Trump under stress. And the real tell is in the phrase that should have read choking like a dog. That is the second reference in 12 hours to dogs doing things dogs don't do. Choking? The other one is lying. Trump has a fraught relationship with canine analogies in the stress of the 2016 campaign at his lowest moments when it looked as if he would lose by 10 points or perhaps be replaced on the ticket in a special maneuver by the Republican Party. He repeatedly made references to people being fired like a dog or thrown off TV like a dog or begging for money like a dog. And he made these references with the confidence of a moron speaking a language a foreign language he doesn't really understand. The next dog I see begging for money will be the first in the history of the planet. More on this shortly, but back to the main point. 
Trump just threw some more chaff submarine countermeasures into this mix. His lawyers last night filed a motion that he is not guilty of election subversion because there are classified government assessments that he's going to produce at trial, quote, relating to foreign influence activities that impacted the 2016 and 2020 election to establish that he acted at all times in good faith and on the belief that he was doing what he had been elected to do which I guess means he's going to call as a surprise witness Q. While Judge Tanya Chutkin deals with this nonsense, I am still unconvinced that either she or Judge Arthur Engeron will actually jail Trump for violating gag orders, although my hopes for Chutkin are significantly higher. But I am just as firmly convinced that that is exactly what Jack Smith and his team of prosecutors in the federal election subversion case are now pushing for. Trump's ambulance chasers appealed the Chutkin gag order to a different court, and as judges do, Chutkin gave him a temporary suspension of that gag order. His attorneys then immediately asked for an even longer suspension. The office of the special counsel replied late Wednesday night, early yesterday morning, demanding that Trump be regagged immediately, and Trump's lawyers you know, the future witnesses against him in some other courtroom in a jurisdiction far, far away, they had till Saturday morning to reply. The focus of the Smith argument is obviously Trump's all-purpose post about Mark Meadows. Part insult, part dismissal, part not-at-all-veiled threat. But most importantly, dovetailing with the argument Smith and his group have repeatedly made to Judge Chutkin, it contained not just intimidation of a witness, it contained an attempt to poison the jury pool by impeaching a witness and insisting the prosecution was corrupt. To quote that Smith filing, the defendant's targeting included insinuating that if the reporting were true, the chief of staff had lied and had been coerced, and the defendant sent a clear public message to the chief of staff intended to intimidate him. And then in the footnotes, the Ghostbuster streams crossed. The bid to restart the Washington gag cited Trump's ignoring of the New York gag. Quote, defense counsel also assured the court that the defendant's post targeting the court staffer had been, quote, dealt with by the court in New York. That assurance turned out to be mistaken, unquote. Here, the word mistaken is a very, very polite euphemism. The rest of the filing shows that Trump ignored the New York gag order, ignored it a second time, was called to the witness stand to explain what he said, lied about what he said, perjured himself, and has proven to be unrestrainable even with the gag order as presently constituted. What Jack Smith and his staff are setting up is something stronger. As I said earlier, it is less a gag order than it is a Hannibal Lecter mask. Here, they write, the defendant has capitalized on the court's administrative stay to, among other prejudicial conduct, send an unmistakable and threatening message to a foreseeable witness in this case. Unless the court lifts the administrative stay, the defendant will not stop his harmful and prejudicial attacks. In addition, to the extent that the defendant's public message directed to Mark Meadows with knowledge that it would reach him is not already covered by his release conditions, it is an intentional end run around them, unquote. Let me translate that. In other words, Jack Smith is not telling the judge 
that Trump has violated her gag order. He is telling the judge that Trump has violated the original conditions under which she did not jail him until the trial starts. To resume the quote, Accordingly, the court should modify the defendant's conditions of release by making compliance with the order a condition or by clarifying that the existing condition barring communication with witnesses about the facts of the case includes indirect messages made publicly on social media or in speeches. Again, in short, a mask over his face and a straitjacket. Legally, anyway. I'm afraid Trump in a real mask and a real straitjacket is just too much to hope for. For now. A quick follow-up now on this, the second full day of the reign of Speaker Mike Johnson. For a man who spent 20 years advocating for sending gay people to prison for having sex, advocating for sending doctors to prison for providing family planning for women, advocating for a national abortion ban, advocating for fewer laws against guns, advocating for more laws against divorce, advocating for gutting the entire social safety net, advocating for disenfranchising minorities and entire states, advocating for using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution, advocating for the forced conflation of church and state, advocating for a conservative group that makes its employees swear an oath to Jesus, advocating against transgenderism, advocating against men wearing women's clothes, advocating against women wearing men's clothes, advocating restrictions against Muslims, advocating against federal disaster relief, advocating for more oil and gas and against science that has proved we're all going to get killed by more oil and gas, advocating for that idiot Amy Coney Barrett since he met her in 1988, advocating for a limit of three terms in the House and then running for this term, his fourth term, and advocating for the overthrow of the duly elected government of the United States throughout the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, for a guy who has done nothing but comment on everything all the time and has always been wrong. So far, Mike Johnson sure has been Speaker of the House, Mr. No Comment. Can you clarify your role on the amicus brief? Do you believe the 2020 election was stolen, sir, just yes or no? You know, you're going to have to say something sometime soon, Sparky. Two other Johnson notes. Echelon Insights, not exactly a liberal outfit, did a crash poll on public reaction to the new speaker. 594 U.S. adults, they say favorable, 31 percent. Unfavorable, 15 percent. Heard of him but have no opinion, 21 percent. But the big winner is never heard of him. 34%. Compare this to Congressman Ted Jones, favorable 18%, unfavorable just 12%. Heard of him but have no opinion, 19%. That is a statistical tie with Speaker Johnson. And again, the big winner for Congressman Ted Jones, never heard of him, 51%. There is no Congressman Ted Jones. 
the new Speaker of the House, the leader of the Republicans in Congress. He's doing slightly better than an imaginary congressman. And lastly, from the House, I am stealing this joke from Twitter user Your Canadian Girlfriend at Your Canadian GF. Representative Lauren Boebert tweeted a photo of herself wearing too much makeup on the packed House floor, beaming alongside Speaker Johnson. Congratulations on becoming the next Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. You assume office at a critical time for our nation. Pray the Lord guides you, blah, 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 blah. To which your Canadian girlfriend observes, quote, Not the first time she stroked a Johnson in a crowded room. Wow. And now, as referenced earlier, since the subject is topical and podcasts can be infinity long, this is an all-new episode, by the way, including a Thurber story I have not read you previously, plus sports, plus worse persons, which is mostly about the main shooting and how we should name these shootings after the politicians who have enabled them. Since the subject is still front of mind, let me repeat what I first analyzed on October 3, 2016. This insane, the word is meant literally, this insane inability of Dementia J. Trump to process the concept of dogs. When he talks about dogs, he clearly is unaware that anybody likes dogs. When he analogizes with dogs, he says things that make less sense than usual even for him. When he invokes dogs, something fragile in his brain is barking. It is saying to us, it is close to the breaking point. And we are here again, as we were seven years ago this month when I first said this. Quote, until one has loved an animal, wrote the journalist and author Anatole France, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. There is no evidence Donald Trump has ever loved an animal. If Trump has ever in his life had a pet, wrote Gail Collins of the New York Times, his campaign doesn't know about it. There's some question, in fact, about whether he's even had an animal friend. In fact, none of the books about Trump, including his own, refer to a pet dog. The co-author or ghostwriter of The Art of the Deal, Tony Schwartz, told me he never heard Trump reference a pet as adult or child. Google it, fact check it, do a Nexus Lexus search on it, and you come up blank, save for an apparently apocryphal story about him tweeting, asking for prayers for a Labrador named Spinny. There were no tweets, no entreaties, and for all we can determine, no spinny. A man running to lead a nation of 324 million people, and while we're at it, 78 million dogs and 76 million cats, and there are solid reasons to believe he has never had a dog. But it's worse than just that, isn't it? Quote, July 2015, I hear that sleepy eyes Chuck Todd will be fired like a dog. October 2015, wow, great news. I hear Eric Erickson of Red State was fired like a dog. December 2015, Glenn Beck got fired like a dog. January 2016, union leader refuses to comment as to why they were kicked out of the ABC News debate like a dog. Twelve days later, Brent Bozell, one of the National Review lightweights, came to my office begging for money like a dog. Huh? When was the last time you saw a dog begging for money in somebody's office?
February 2016, wow, was Ted Cruz disloyal to his very capable director of communication. He used him as a scapegoat, fired like a dog. All right, which is it, a goat or a dog? March 2016, Eric Erickson again got fired like a dog from Red State. 11 days after that, David Gregory got thrown off of TV by NBC, fired like a dog. June 2016, Mitt Romney had his chance to beat a failed president, but he choked like a dog. What the hell is wrong with this guy about dogs? Fired like a dog? Have you ever fired a dog? He's also tweeted that the Egyptian President Mubarak was dropped like a dog, that Reverend Jeremiah Wright was dumped like a dog, that Mark Cuban was thrown off television like a dog, that Kristen Stewart cheated on Robert Pattinson like a dog, and worst of all, he said that during a Republican debate, he saw Senator Marco Rubio sweating like a dog. Dogs don't sweat. In theory, they could get fired, they could get cheated on, they could beg for money, or they could get dropped, dumped, kicked out, or thrown off television, but physically they cannot sweat. Donald Trump has no knowledge of this, no understanding of this. There's no evidence that he's ever had a dog. No evidence he understands. Even the kinds of basics that people who do not have dogs still know about dogs. What the hell? Is he from Mars? If so, could he go back? And I'll add, in 2016, when he said Romney choked like a dog, unlike this week about Michael Cohen, in 2016, Trump spelled choked correctly. Naming the mass shootings after people like, say, Senator Susan Collins. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. 
That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa dot com for more details. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, World Series starts tonight. The team tied for the seventh best record in the game. The Texas Rangers hosting the team with the 12th best record in the game, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Baseball has managed to develop a playoff system in which 10 of the 11 best teams in the regular season can be eliminated. Sadly, the teams taking the field, Arizona and Texas, they are not the best teams in the game or in either league. I do not know what they are playing for anymore. The whole thing is just a really sad lie now. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Just to make it worse, the Arizona Diamondbacks are expected to become the first team to despoil the World Series by wearing uniforms with advertising patches on the sleeves. And if you're the advertiser, you should be asking for your money back. Because as much as I know I sound like the captain of Team Old Man Yells at Cloud, hey, you kids, get off my lawn, I'm going to go back to my prediction. Wait till you see how many people do not watch this World Series nationally. The series has only once dipped below 10 million viewers per game. That was in the COVID season, the token World Series of 2020, the peak was 44 million viewers per game for the Yankees and Dodgers in 1978. Yes, a different entertainment world. There were only three TV networks. On the other hand, the population was 33% smaller than it is now. Guess which one of those numbers, 10 million or 44 million a game, this series is going to come closer to. They have reduced the World Series to this simple formula. Is my team playing? No. See you next spring. Who would have ever thought this, as gambling sites become one of the leading advertisers, maybe the leading advertisers in all of sports, a pro athlete has been suspended for violating his league's rules against gambling on sports. I know, a shock. Shane Pinto of hockey's Ottawa Senators will sit for 41 games after one of the sites reported to the NHL that he had a gambling account with them. There is some evidence that Pinto did not actually do the gambling in question, but somebody else was using his account improperly. And talk about the chickens coming home to roost. The first hockey team to have put an ad on its helmets for a gambling site? Yep, Pinto's Ottawa Senators. And the worst on this is clearly yet to come. Lastly, also on uniforms, brilliance from the British soccer club Tottenham Hotspur. It has carefully researched the 879 different players who've performed for the team since it began play in 1894. It has determined in which order they debuted, and it has now assigned each of them a legacy number. 
Stanley Briggs, center half of their first 1894 Spurs team, is number one. And Alejo Veliz, who just joined them this year, is number 879. So when their next new player debuts, there will be a small number 880 on the back of his jersey below the collar. Imagine an American team in any sport doing this. It is that rarest of ideas, something that actually salutes the players, cherishes the history of the game, and lets the team make some more money selling more replica uniforms. Only maybe uh, leave the ads off them this time. Still ahead on this all-new edition of Countdown Fridays with Thurber, and I've never yet met anybody who will not shudder with recognition about something in James Thurber's reminiscences about how he almost did not graduate because of science and swimming. The first time I have ever read to you, University Days. First time for the Daily Roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, President Duda of Poland. The anti-fascist candidate, Prime Minister Donald Tusk, upset the ultra-nationalist, quote, law and justice party and has the only prospects for forming a coalition to now rule the nation. Yet the president has refused to name Tusk as prime minister. The president now says he will not open parliament until the 11th of next month, and he may not have named a prime minister even then. There are grim suspicions in Poland that somebody is trying to pull a Trump there to reappoint the fascist and then either stage violence or create some diversion to keep the Democratic coalition and Tusk out of office. The runner-up, Mayor Eric Adams of New York. This is not about his delusion of being anointed by God. I'm letting that pass today. This is about the dangers of e-bikes in this city or any other city. People have died here because the batteries of e-bikes have caught fire in apartment buildings. People have been grievously wounded here because the police do nothing about e-bikers riding up on sidewalks or ignoring all traffic lights and laws and driving in the opposite direction of the traffic. And now, now though, they've gone too far. Wednesday night, a friend of mine's dog and another dog were being walked on the west side. They were walking east on 47th Street. On the sidewalk, which is for walking, out of nowhere, an idiot on an e-bike, on the sidewalk, going west, plows into them, the walker and the two dogs. Happily, the injuries to the dogs and the walker were minor. The e-biker, though, swore at them as he drove away, and two cops witnessed the entire event and did nothing. Maybe the lead story is here, there were two cops standing on 47th Street. Alert the media. The nightmare, of course, is that e-bikes are central to fighting climate change. But something like this happens daily here because the city is not designed for e-bikes or enforcing rules. And people are coming to hate e-bikes here and the people who drive e-bikes here so recklessly that when the city acts, instead of enforcing regulations against e-bikes, it's going to have to flat out ban them. So these idiots are endangering lives and endangering dogs, and then they will endanger lives again by ruining one means we have of helping to not extinguish life on the planet. 
Get on this, Mayor Adams. Pretend God told you to. But our winners, and we will drop the music for this. It is a tie. Speaker Mike Johnson, hours after his election, a mass shooting in Maine for which he has now offered prayers. Johnson voted against background checks. He's voted against protecting domestic violence victims from gun possession. He's voted against the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. But he had time to meet 10 days ago in his house office with women for gun rights to, as he put it then, discuss the safeguarding of our Second Amendment rights. Mr. Speaker, shove your Second Amendment up your ass. It does not say anything about ownership of guns. If it did, it would have the word own in it, you fatuous, Christo-fascist idiot. I'm going to suggest something now that might be grotesque, it might be callous, it might hurt some of those directly affected by these shootings, or it might steer the society out of its spiral towards collective suicide by gun. I think we should name each mass shooting after a politician whose inactivity, negligence, or acceptance of bribes from the NRA has made them at least a symbolic accessory before the fact to the latest carnage. I think we should not call this one the Lewiston, Maine mass shooting. I think we should call this one the Speaker Mike Johnson mass shooting. Or the Senator Susan Collins mass shooting. The senator from Maine voted against renewing the assault weapons ban, and she voted against the ban on high-capacity magazines that allow mass shooters to fire their weapons of terror even faster. She has contributed to the fact that while gutless, heartless Republicans like herself always respond to a mass shooting, like the Speaker Mike Johnson mass shooting, by invoking mental health, Maine does not have background checks on all gun sales, nor a red flag law, nor does it stop domestic abusers from getting guns, nor does it have a waiting period. Senator Collins has not learned her lesson. She had the gall to show up to a news conference in Lewiston last night. Or... We could also call this one the Sean Hannity mass shooting. A long time ago, I was friendly with this fatuous idiot. He used to express bewilderment to me that people took what he said or what I said seriously. It's only television. At some point, though, he started believing his own delusions. After the shooting Wednesday night, interviewing Nikki Haley, well, there's a combined IQ that's still under 100, Hannity actually suggested that everybody should have a plan to confront a mass shooter. Quote, I have a personal security plan. I train in mixed martial arts. In other words, Sean Hannity thinks this is the Matrix, and he's going to kick the AR-15 out of the Mike Johnson mass shooter's hands. I'm guessing, ultimately, nobody on the right will do anything about any of this until they are literally all standing over the body of somebody like Sean Hannity and commenting on how it looked like he was in some sort of jujitsu stance when that guy put the six-inch diameter bullet hole through him. And maybe even then they still won't do anything about it. Speaker Mike Johnson, Senator Susan Collins, Sean Hannity useless, wasted human beings, today's worst persons in the world.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. closest thing James Thurber ever wrote to a novel was the story of his childhood, somewhat exaggerated or, according to his family, almost completely exaggerated. It was called My Life and Hard Times. In it are stories like The Night the Bed Fell and such as that. But my favorite, perhaps, of all of his stories from his supposed youth is called University Days. There's a lot of Well, you'll hear. There's a lot of stuff in university days, and so I present it to you for the first time on Fridays with Thurber. University Days by James Thurber. I've passed all the other courses that I took at my university, but I could never pass botany. This was because all botany students had to spend several hours a week in a laboratory looking through a microscope at plant cells, and I could never see through a microscope. I never once saw a cell through a microscope. This used to enrage my instructor. He would wander around the laboratory, pleased with the progress all the students were making in drawing the involved and, so I am told, interesting structure of flower cells. Until he came to me, I would just be standing there. I can't see anything, I would say. He would begin patiently enough, explaining how anybody can see through a microscope. But he would always end up in a fury, claiming that I could, too, see through a microscope, but just pretended that I couldn't. It takes away from the beauty of flowers anyway, I used to tell him. We are not concerned with the beauty in this course, he would say. We are concerned solely with what I may call the mechanics of flowers. 
Well, I'd say, I, I can't see anything. Try it just once again, he'd say, and I would put my eye to the microscope and see nothing at all, except now and again, a nebulous, milky substance, a phenomenon of maladjustment. You were supposed to see a vivid, restless clockwork of sharply defined plant cells. I see what looks like a lot of milk, I would tell him. This, he claimed, was the result of my not having adjusted the microscope properly, so he would readjust it for me, or rather for himself, and I would look again and see milk. I finally took a deferred pass, as they called it, and waited a year and tried again. You had to pass one of the biological sciences or you couldn't graduate. The professor had come back from vacation brown as a berry, bright-eyed and eager to explain cell structure again to his classes. Well, he said to me cheerily when we met in the laboratory, first hour of the semester, we're going to see cells this time, aren't we? Yes, sir, I said. Students to right of me and to left of me and in front of me were seeing cells. What's more, they were quietly drawing pictures of them in their notebooks. Of course, I didn't see anything. We'll try it, the professor said to me gently, with every adjustment of the microscope known to man. As God is my witness, I'll arrange this glass so that you see cells through it, or I'll give up teaching. In 22 years of botany, I... He cut off abruptly, for he was beginning to quiver all over like Lionel Barrymore. And he genuinely wished to hold on to his temper. His scenes with me had taken a great deal out of him. As an editor's note here, if you don't recognize the name Lionel Barrymore, if you've ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Potter, the evil financier in the wheelchair, that was played by Lionel Barrymore, who used to quiver all over. Back to Thurber. So we tried it with every adjustment of the microscope known to man. With only one of them did I see anything but blackness, or the familiar lacteal opacity, and that time I saw, to my pleasure and amazement, a variegated constellation of flecks, specks, and dots. These I hastily drew. The instructor, noting my activity, came back from an adjoining desk, a smile on his lips, his eyebrows high in hope. He looked at my cell drawing. "'What's that?' he demanded with a hint of squeal in his voice. That's what I saw, I said. You didn't! You didn't! You didn't! He screamed, losing control of his temper instantly, and he bent over and squinted into the microscope. His head snapped up. That's your eye! He shouted. You've fixed the lens so that it reflects! You've drawn your eye! Another course that I didn't like, but somehow managed to pass, was economics. I went to that class straight from the botany class, which didn't help me any in understanding either subject. I used to get them mixed up, but not as mixed up as another student in my economics class who came there direct from a physics laboratory. He was a tackle on the football team named Balencewicz. At the time, Ohio State University had one of the best football teams in the country, and Balencewicz was one of its outstanding stars. In order to be eligible to play, it was necessary for him to keep up in his studies 
a very difficult matter, for while he was not dumber than an ox, he was not any smarter. Most of his professors were lenient and helped him along. None gave him more hints in answering questions or asked him simpler ones than the economics professor, a thin, timid man named Bassam. One day when we were on the subject of transportation and distribution, it became Belensowitz's turn to answer a question. Name one means of transportation, the professor said to him. No light came into the big tackle's eyes. Just any means of transportation, said the professor. Belensowitz sat staring at him. That is, pursued the professor, any medium, agency, or method of going from one place to another. Belensowitz had the look of a man who is being led into a trap. You may choose among steam, horse-drawn, or electrically propelled vehicles, said the instructor. I might suggest the one which we commonly take in making long journeys across land. There was a profound silence in which everybody stirred uneasily, including Belensowitz and Mr. Bassam. Mr. Bassam abruptly broke this silence in an amazing manner. Choo, 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 he said in a low voice and turned instantly scarlet. He glanced appealingly around the room. All of us, of course, shared Mr. Bassam's desire that Belensowitz would stay abreast of the class in economics for the Illinois game, one of the hardest and most important of the season, was only a week off. Toot, toot, toot! Some student with a deep voice moaned, and we all looked encouragingly at Belensowitz. Somebody else gave a fine imitation of a locomotive letting off steam. Mr. Bassam himself rounded off the little show. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, he said hopefully. Belensowitz was staring at the floor now, trying to think, his great brow furrowed, his huge hands rubbing together. His face red. How did you come to college this year, Mr. Belensowitz? Asked the professor. Chuffa, 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 chuffa. My father sent me, said the football player. What on? Asked Bassam. A getting allowance, said the tackle, in a low, husky voice, obviously embarrassed. No. No, no, said Bassam. Name a means of transportation. What did you ride here on? Train, said Belensowitz. Quite right, said the professor. Now, Mr. Nugent, will you tell us? If I went through anguish in botany and economics for different reasons, gymnasium work was even worse. I don't even like to think about it. They wouldn't let you play games or join in the exercises with your glasses on, and I couldn't see with mine off. I bumped into professors, horizontal bars, agricultural students, swinging iron rings. Not being able to see, I could take it, but I couldn't dish it out. Also, in order to pass gymnasium, and you had to pass it to graduate, you had to learn to swim if you didn't know how. I didn't like the swimming pool. 
I didn't like swimming, and I didn't like the swimming instructor. And after all these years, I still don't. I never swam, but I passed my gym work anyway by having another student give my gymnasium number, 978, and swim across the pool in my place. He was a quiet, amiable, blonde youth, number 473, and he would have seen through a microscope for me if we could have gotten away with that, but we couldn't get away with that. Another thing I didn't like about gymnasium work was that they made you strip the day you registered. It is impossible for me to be happy when I am stripped and being asked a lot of questions. Still, I did better than a lanky agricultural student who was cross-examined just before I was. They asked each student what college he was in, that is, whether arts, engineering, commerce, or agriculture. What college are you in? The instructor snapped at the youth in front of me. Ohio State University, he said promptly. It wasn't that agricultural student, but it was another, a whole lot like him, who decided to take up journalism, possibly on the ground that when farming went to hell, he could fall back on newspaper work. He didn't realize, of course, that that would be very much like falling back full length on a kit of carpenter's tools. Haskins didn't seem cut out for journalism, being too embarrassed to talk to anybody and unable to use a typewriter, but the editor of the college paper assigned him to the cow barns, the sheep house, the horse pavilion, and the animal husbandry department generally. This was a genuinely big beat for it took up five times as much ground and got ten times as great a legislative appropriation as the College of Liberal Arts. The agricultural student knew animals, but nevertheless his stories were dull and colorlessly written. He took all afternoon on each of them on account of having to hunt for each letter on the typewriter. Once in a while he had to ask somebody to help him hunt. C and L in particular were hard letters for him to find. His editor finally got pretty much annoyed at the farmer journalist because his pieces were so uninteresting. See here, Haskins, he snapped at him one day. Why is it we never have anything hot from you on the horse pavilion? Here we have 200 head of horses on this campus, more than any other university in the Western Conference except Purdue. And yet you never get any real lowdown on them. Now, shoot over to the horse barns and dig up something lively. Haskins shambled out and came back in about an hour. He said he had something. Well, tart it off snappily, said the editor. Something people will read. Haskins set to work and in a couple of hours brought a sheet of typewritten paper to the desk. It was a 200-word story about some disease that had broken out among the horses. Its opening sentence was simple but arresting. It read, Who has noticed the sores on the tops of the horses in the animal husbandry building? Ohio State was a land-grant university, and therefore two years of military drill was compulsory. We drilled with old Springfield rifles and studied the tactics of the Civil War, even though the World War was going on at the time. At 11 o'clock each morning, thousands of freshmen and sophomores used to deploy over the campus, moodily creeping up on the old chemistry building. It was good training for the kind of warfare that was waged at Shiloh, but it had no connection with what was going on in Europe. Some people used to think that there was German money behind it, but they didn't dare say that or they would have been thrown in jail as German spies. It was a period of muddy thought and marked, I believe, the decline of higher education in the Middle West. 
As a soldier, I was never any good at all. Most of the cadets were glumly indifferent soldiers, but I was no good at all. Once, General Littlefield, who was commandant of the cadet corps, popped up in front of me during regimental drill and snapped, You are the main trouble with this university! I think he meant that my type was the main trouble with the university, but he may have meant me individually. I was mediocre at drill, certainly. That is, until my senior year. By that time, I had drilled longer than anybody else in the Western Conference, having failed at military at the end of each preceding year so that I had to do it all over again. I was the only senior still in uniform. The uniform, which when new had made me look like an interurban railway conductor, now that it had become faded and too tight, made me look like Burt Williams in his bellboy act. This had a definitely bad effect on my morale. Even so, I had become by sheer practice little short of wonderful at squad maneuvers. One day, General Littlefield picked our company out of the whole regiment and tried to get it mixed up by putting it through one movement after another as fast as we could execute them. Squads right, squads left, squads on right into line, squads right about, squads left front into line, etc. In about three minutes, 109 men were marching in one direction, and I was marching away from them at an angle of 40 degrees, all alone. Company, halt! shouted General Littlefield. That man is the only man who has it right! I was made a corporal for my achievement. The next day, General Littlefield summoned me to his office. He was swatting flies when I came in. I was silent, and he was silent, too, for a long time. I don't think he remembered me or why he had sent for me, but he didn't want to admit that. He swatted some more flies, keeping his eyes on them narrowly before he let go with the swatter. Button up your coat, he snapped. Looking back on it now, I can see that he meant me, although he was looking at a fly, but I just stood there. Another fly came to rest on a paper in front of the general and began rubbing its hind legs together. The general lifted the swatter cautiously. I moved restlessly, and the fly flew away. You startled him, barked General Littlefield, looking at me severely. I said I was sorry. That won't help the situation, snapped the general with cold military logic. I didn't see what I could do except offer to chase some more flies toward his desk, but, but I didn't say anything. He stared out the window at the faraway figures of co-eds crossing the campus towards the library. Finally, he told me I could go. So I went. He either didn't know which cadet I was or else he forgot what he wanted to see me about. It may have been that he wished to apologize for having called me the main trouble with the university, or maybe he had decided to compliment me on my brilliant drilling of the day before and then, at the last minute, decided not to. I don't know. I don't think about it much anymore. University Days by James Thurber. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Any similarity to my university days is purely coincidental. 
Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire in New York. If you know anybody who does not listen to this podcast, please tell them how wonderful it is. And if you're still listening at this point, you must think it's wonderful. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards. Mr. Ray was on the guitars, the bass, and the drums, and it was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including other Beethoven tunes, were arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, and we call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN 2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Richard Lewis of Ohio State University. And everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,025th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is Tuesday. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.